Welcome to Planet Pod, the podcast for everyone who cares about the planet. Welcome to Planet Pod with me, Amanda Carpenter. Um, today we're going walkabout. So we're getting out of the studio and taking a stroll in the company of my two guests who are both passionate about walking. Uh, Tompion Platt, who's the Director of Advocacy and Engagement at the Ramblers Association, and Rory Forsyth, who's the CEO of the Western Front Way. Thanks very much for joining me and welcome. Lovely to be here. Yeah, great to be here. So um, we're told that walking is the most popular form of exercise, um, even over swimming and cycling, according to Sport England. But more and more of us are leading sedentary lives, and the NHS has estimated that too much sitting or lying down could lead to 70,000 extra deaths a year and cost in excess of £700 million. So there's clearly an impetus for people to get active. But recent WHO studies have shown that we are tailing behind. We are 123rd out of 168 countries across the world for for physical activity. So clearly there is a need for a walking advocate. So I guess, Tompion, that's what you do. You tell people to get out and walk. Is that right? Yes, absolutely. I'd hope that we don't just tell people to get out and walk. We we try and create better places for people to walk. So, uh, you know, our founding fathers and what we're all about was people being able to uh, go out on a walk and enjoy the countryside and be in contact with nature. So it's very much those two sides of things, the walk, but also the experience of being outside and in nature. Um, so we continue to campaign a lot around improving people's rights to access uh, different parts of the world, uh, sorry, different parts of the country and the countryside. Uh, and then the other side of things we do is we do promote walking. So we have over 500 groups who run over 55,000 walks from urban strolls to mountain hikes. Um, and we really encourage people to get out there and join groups and, and go walking that way too. So the Ramblers has been going for how long? Over 80 years. Right, OK. Yeah, so we were actually... It's a really interesting story about how we set up. Um, and really it was... From about the mid-19th century, there were lots of groups, particularly in urban areas, that were wanting to get out and get away from all the air pollution and all the, the troubles of the city and get out into the countryside and, and enjoy those those freedoms. Um, and then it, there was a, um, a movement where landowners were more and more closing off land to people to be able to go and enjoy those rights. So that um, resulted in, in a number of groups who were really campaigning to ensure that those rights were maintained and they could you know, could access the countryside and go walking. So uh, a number of groups started uh, making a noise about this. Um, in the early 1930s, uh, there were five uh, Ramblers federations around the country that came together and said we should campaign on this uh, together. And then uh, another key moment happened soon after that, which was the Kinder Scout mass trespass, which you may have heard of, which was when... Uh, a number of uh, individuals from Sheffield and Manchester went up into the nearby countryside to what is now the, the Peak District National Park and basically did a willful tra- trespass. So they went up onto private land, landowner's land and organised a big walk. Um, and it resulted in a few scuffles and five people being arrested. And that really got into the media and got the media's attention and resulted in lots more f- follow-on actions. Um, and that all resulted in 
Um, that and other things were all resulted in something called the uh, National Parks and Countryside Rights Away Act, actually, in 1949, uh, which was celebrating its 70th birthday this year. So actually, I was up in the peaks last weekend celebrating that. Oh, and, and that resulted in the first national parks. It resulted in the first national trails. It also resulted in the Rights Away Network. So all the paths Rights Away Network now have to be on something called a definitive map and have to be protected. So it was a really you know, seminal moment in people's rights and access to the countryside. And so, it's gone from there. So some of those perceptions that people might have about the Rambers of being sort of maybe possibly older people yeah. in uh, suitable clothing um, walking through the countryside, you're actually quite, in terms of what's going on at the moment in terms of climate justice and the global movement to really make people aware of, of the climate impacts and our need to take action, you're actually quite a radical group of people, aren't you? Yeah, so, we absolutely, yeah. so mass trespassing, could, could, do you, will it be coming back? I mean... Well, you know, we have, you know, absolutely, our, our, our roots are in people who are really fighting for people's rights and the access for everybody to have access to green spaces in the countryside and walking. And whilst a lot of our members do now join, we have over 100,000 members who do join to go on a group walk and it's a wonderful social event, you know, it's about getting together and chatting and the lunch as much as, it is, you know, as, much as the walk itself. We do you know, have a really strong arm of people who uh, are involved in the Rambles because they care about countryside access. And we've, you know, the 1949 Act was a really important act, but there's more recent examples. So uh, in 2000, there was the Countryside Rights Away Act, which we had campaigned on for a number of years to give people the right to roam. Um, in, and now, um, following that act, uh, almost 900,000 hectares of land in England and Wales was opened up as open access land, so mountains, moors, mm. heaths, uh, downlands were opened up uh, to mean that people could access those bits of land away from a path network. And things like the Land Reform Act in 2003 was um, in Scotland, which means that almost all land, countryside and waterways are open to access. So we very much have that, that history of campaigning and, and um, it continues to be a really important part of what we do. And I, the other thing that I think people don't know about is that um, we have a really important uh, role in the Rights Away Network. So we still see ourselves as the guardians of the Rights Away Network, which of course is the way that most people access and enjoy the countryside. And we have, um, we're actually a statutory body. We have to be consulted on any changes to the PATH Network as a statutory body. So we have a, a team here that help the public and work with local authorities to look at any changes to the park network, be it a, a development that's happening or a, a landowner who's perhaps closed a bit of a park network. Um, and we have thousands of volunteers that go out and clear the paths and fix them and build small bridges and styles and all those kind of things. So, um, it, you know, absolutely walking is at the heart of it, but it's also that access and enabling everyone to, to walk. Um, which I, you know, I think is a really important part of our history. Uh, and one of the other things I should say is that it's not just about countryside access. Uh, you know, our mission yeah, is about big urban movement. But we we might come yeah. on to that because I'm, I'm in a moment or two we're going to get a chance to go out and actually do a ramble Great. locally. But but that that idea of access and walking and freedom to walk is really part of what's driven your campaign, isn't it, Rory? So so the organisation that, that that you run, the Western Front Way, I think it's fair to say is about walking. As it much is as anything. It is that's at its that's at its core. 
in one sentence, it's connecting a thousand kilometer pathway from the Belgian coast to the Swiss-French border, which is the entire length of the Western Front from the First World War, which had its centenary last year. So, um, so you're encouraging people to go out and walk, or what's, what's behind the, the, the campaign? We are, hugely. There, it would be tempting to think that you needed to know everything about history or everything about battlefields. It's not actually about that and about remembrance. That's one part of it, but the remembrance tends to come from osmosis just by being there. It just filters through you that it was an important place. But a thousand kilometres, there's a lot of change of landscape, there's a change of people, there's changes of culture, and it's really just a beautiful walk, which is supposed to be good fun to walk with, with friends, with you know groups of school kids, families. It's open for all. And how far have you got in the, in the campaign? Because it's been going for quite a long time, and obviously we've now passed the centenary of the First World War, so people are perhaps looking to the next war, or possibly, you know, even a little bit kind of remembranced out, if you like, because it was a major event last year. Um, how much progress have you made? I mean, is it at the point of being available for people to walk now, or is it still just a, a, a long-term vision? Happy to say, very nearly available, after a few years' work for some very dedicated people. Uh, in May, late spring, the first phase will open, which covers roughly 275 kilometres from the Belgian coast down to Albert in the Somme. Uh, the biggest city you go through is Arras, if you're looking for it on a map. So that is hugely exciting. And after that is open, we will then push on quite quickly into phase two and three, which will see the remainder of the 700 kilometres mapped and waymarked for all walkers. For all walkers. Now, obviously, I can understand that, you know, here in the UK, we, you know, we've got a history of walking and people feel that they, they are close to and own and understand the, the landscape and the countryside. But you're talking about setting up a path in Europe. And given the slight difficulties we may be having at the moment with our European friends and colleagues, that must be quite challenging. It has been challenging. I think the best way I've tried to describe it is... For every action we've taken in Britain, being a British charity, we've had to match that action in France and Belgium, because put very simply, it's, it's not our land, and we would not have got very far if we had thought that we could do it ourselves. It's all been about collaboration from the beginning, from all nations, and the real, the real jumping moments where we've really got momentum have been when we've had the backing of bodies in France and Belgium, be they walking organisations, which we're close to, be that tourist offices, which we're very close to, or even higher at government and regional level. It's when all three combine that we really see progress. So this is a, a path that's come out of the idea of remembrance and commemoration, but it's now much more of a just a long-distance walking path for, for anybody who's interested in long-distance walking? Exactly that, exactly that. There are people that are experts in World War One and history and battlefields, and we're going to leave them to do that. All we're doing is providing the trunk. If you imagine the 1,000 kilometres as a tree trunk, mm. and off it, thousands of branches can come. If you've got an interest in food, trust me, there's some very good food over there. Part of the walk actually <laughs> goes through champagne as well, which is quite <laughs> helpful. Um, but if, whatever your reason, it's going to be there for you to walk. And walking is essentially very good for our health, isn't it? But, 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 but we're not doing enough. So how can we encourage people to, to get out there and, and, and walk, Tom? I mean, because there's obviously not, you know, not everybody's walking. Yes, I think you can broadly split the type of walking we do between the leisure walks, which tend to be this idea, you know, people going out and walking, often in the countryside, but not always, 
and, uh, and, and wanting to get out in contact with nature. And as you started off by saying, that's the number one physical activity and outdoor activity people do across this country and it's growing, which is fantastic. And then there's the utility, perhaps everyday walking, walking to the shops, you know, walking as a travel mode. Uh, but that has significantly declined over the last 30 years. So we've had a third, a drop of, in the, in the, of a third in the amount of local journeys people do walking. And that has real impact in terms of our physical health because, of course, it's those everyday journeys that everyone makes that are really important in terms of the public health of the nation. And what we've seen and what we've done is that we've inadvertently designed our towns and cities and neighbourhoods around cars uh, and effectively engineered walking out of everyday lives. So we've made walking uh, a more difficult choice, perhaps less safe, certainly less attractive. Um, and it means in places like London, you know, which is actually fairly walkable, the centre, you know, it's not easy to drive, but even in London, a third of, journey, of car journeys uh, are under two kilometres, which is less than 20 minutes walk. So we've really made it unattractive to walk. So I think there's huge scope in places, particularly in our urban areas, to rebalance that a little bit, make it more attractive to walk, get people more fiscally active, which of course has great benefits in terms of public health, public health in terms of air pollution, noise pollution, community severance, uh, freeing up more space for people to use those streets in more uh, inventive ways. Um, so there's all sorts of opportunities if we can kind of rebalance our streets and our places to make walking a easier and safer choice. Yeah, and we are suffering significantly from air pollution. I mean, we're here in central London, but 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 across the country, you know, uh, out of the kind of 43 clean air zones, 37 have failed to meet their clean air targets. So they are places where, you know, the air is not, you know, safe, inverted commas, to breathe because of the of, of, of nitrogen oxygen and, and, and particulate matter. So clearly, walking out in an urban space is not as attractive as perhaps Roy's vision of taking us all walking through the Champagne region uh, and, and the valleys and hills of France. So, so, so we've got a real challenge on our hands, haven't we? Not just to make that an attractive thing for people to do, but to make our environment safe and welcoming for people to walk in. It is. It's a huge challenge. And I think sometimes the issue with walking is it's often very small scale changes that we need to make on lots of different streets and it doesn't get the same attention from the, someone like the Department for Transport who will continue to plough billions into new road building schemes. We must have you know this motorway connecting A to B but um, still puts a very relatively very small amount of funding into making our streets and our lo- local journeys more walkable. So it's down often to the local authority and obviously with squeezed budgets that becomes more difficult. Um, I have to say a big part of it too, particularly when you're talking about air pollution, is making perhaps driving a, a little less attractive, which, which obviously always is always difficult from a policy and a government perspective. But in some of those areas you've talked about where they've got clear, clean air zones, the issue has been that there's been a reluctance to actually restrict any sort of vehicle access into centres and London's leading the way a bit on that and there's been the introduction of the ultra low ambition zone but you know really what we're going to have to do probably to make a big difference to air pollution is make driving a little less attractive as well as investing in public transport and better streets and better places to cycle to make the alternatives more attractive. So if you like we're almost coming full circle to your to your origins where perhaps there's a need for for some really significant 
action. You know, maybe it's a, a mass trespass of the streets. And are we saying that we have a kind of... Because there's a climate justice issue here as well, mm. isn't there? I mean, if our, if our streets are not safe and not clean to walk on, people are not going to walk on them. And then people will drive more and then we'll have more <coughs> carbon dioxide fumes. And it'll be a, a, a vicious negative circle, which will actually cause more and more air pollution. So maybe the time is for us to be rising up and, and, and taking to the streets as, <laughs> as advocates of cleaner air and safer spaces. I, I think cleaner air has really caught the public's imagination you know, people who have advocated for things like walking and cycling and have been talking about clean air for a long time and physical inactivity and all these other issues. But clean air has seemed to have kind of caught the imagination a bit and it's been a lot reported a lot more in the media. And you are seeing kind of movements happening now, perhaps not kind of national movements in, in the same sense, but, you know, for example, there's lots of local groups who are uh, parents' groups who are campaigning for school streets. So, you know, you know, streets outside the schools are closed, the immediate space outside the schools are closed to traffic. Um, you know, lots of the cities are now putting in walking and cycling commissioners to really prioritise walking and cycling. And we are seeing more focus and investment going into those areas. But but I agree, um, what historically hasn't happened in recent years, I think, is that people haven't really seen this as an issue. It's just the way of the world that that's the way our places are built. Uh, and what I'd love to see is more people really taking on that um, that, that campaign that we're trying, to, we're trying to push for and really campaign locally and say, you know, we should be able to walk to a school safely and comfortably and it shouldn't just be a, a right for everyone to drive wherever they, where, wherever they want. Uh, and the other important thing is that we should be able to contact and be in contact with green spaces close to where we live. So the other really important part of our work in the urban environment is how do we make sure that everyone can access quality green spaces close to where they live within a five minute walk of where they where they live for example because being in contact with green space is so important for your physical and mental health as well as you know the act of walking so it's so that combination that we're really trying to work on and get people agitated and interested and involved in yeah. and that idea of walking and well-being is part of what's been driving your project isn't it Rory because this idea that you you know you can engage on a long distance walk and actually the benefit that you'll gain from that both emotionally, psychologically as well as physically if you're walking a thousand kilometres is, is very significant. But plays back, I think, into that narrative that you had about remembrance and the founding vision of, of the Western Front Way. It does. The idea for the Western Front Way came from a letter written in 1915 by one man who, amongst all that was going on, envisaged this path for peace a long Via Sacra, a thousand kilometres long, which would be where nations from all sides, after the war had ended, could walk. And I think that resonance still stays very true, that if you're over there, it does make you think. It is quite, quite, a, quite a reflective thing to do walking anyway. Mm. I mean, I find that. I've got a dog. I walk with her every morning, and it is a time to think. And our, our strap line underneath our logo is Walk, Reflect, Connect and connecting the pathways but that idea of reflection Mm. and that doesn't mean you have to think of 104 years ago you could think of what you were doing last week but the actual act of walking um, the calming step by step setting yourself a gentle goal walking with friends actually does a lot of good for the mind because it just slows it down enough so we're not all rushing around all the time I, I really echo those points I think there's so much to be said about just getting out and walking and how it frees your mind. 
and even just in the workday, if you can go for, we have walking meetings and those things, and it really helps you be creative and think differently. Um, but the other thing I, I love about your project, the sound of your project, is this connection with history. And we've got a project called Don't Lose Your Way, which is all about restoring historic routes and campaign and finding those on old historic maps and then making sure that those are protected and added to the rights of way for future generations to enjoy. And there's currently a government cut-off by 2026 that they're going to stop adding routes to the map. So that's why we're really pushing on it now. But the stories that have come out as we started to look into this about these routes, which are, for us are you know, just as important as the, the cathedrals and the, you know, those kind of pits of our history, because they are the stories of you, um, how people walk those journeys and for the purposes and all those connections around those routes have really caught people's imaginations. And I, I can see that in the same yes. way with your project. Definitely. And it's a very different... Walking is a very different part of history, isn't it? I mean, it's a very... It, it's it's classless in the sense that, that, you know, going back 100, 150 years, you know, it would, I guess, tend to have been people on a lower social scale who couldn't access having, you know, a horse or horse and cart or whatever, yeah. who would be walking. So a lot of those walks are built into people's, you know, historical family, you know, habits and also into the communities where they reflect a different part of the socio-economic community and different part of the history. Yeah, absolutely. Most of the rights away network is routes that people historically used to get somewhere useful or coffin walks, you know, where they took when people died to go to the local parish and things. So that's where their history is and they're useful routes and many of them are used for leisure now. But it is important that we also maintain our countryside path for people to enable them to make the walk to the shops and those kind of things too. And Roy, most of your walk is through countryside, I suspect, is it? And and, and, and is it all in is it all on footpaths or is some of it on, on roads or, or waymark paths or how does it work? It's it's on as many footpaths as we've been able to find and been allowed to walk on. That was that was the brief that we've always stuck to, that there is a front line in place, but I would rather a beautiful walk and the charity would rather a beautiful walk which people can enjoy. If they so happen to want to go to an exact spot, it won't be that far away. It'll be a few kilometres. So the principal walk is on footpaths. There is some road walking, but um, a B road in France is a little bit different to a B road here. The only thing I think you're going to see on there is is a tractor and possibly a sheepdog kind of once a day. So the road walking is very safe over there. Um, but already the remembrance infrastructure, particularly in the north, is, is, is very good. I think about four to five million people a year go over there anyway. So there are a lot of So that's the sort of cemeteries and battlefields. Cemeteries and battlefields. of this world, it's not, okay. And we've cut a line north to south, taking in as little distance as possible, because I think if you try to go to every single cemetery or every single point of relevance, you'd never ever come home, to be honest, because there are so many over there. So as I said, that goes back to the trunk mentality. We're just putting a line through the middle of it, and you can go left, you can go right, you can go to museums... There's plenty to do. I mean, I think a week's walking, if you were seeing everything, you'd be lucky to cover 50 kilometres, to be honest, because there is so much over there. And is the idea that this might be like a new Camino, the, the new long-distance walking path? I think so. I think so. We hope. Um, the Camino obviously has the word pilgrimage heavily attached to it. And I think even if you remove the remembrance aspect, this could be a pilgrimage for all sorts of reasons. People could be going through through their own personal loss. They could just maybe need to to find a bit of themselves that they've lost. So it's a pilgrimage to yourself, it's a pilgrimage to what's happened, but it's really just a pilgrimage to walking because it's 
it's just such an awesome thing to do. Yeah. And there are, of course, a whole network of pilgrim trails, not just, you know, here, but, but throughout Europe, aren't they, which provide fantastic walking. But, Tompin, you talked a little bit about, about um, the urban charter, so we probably should get out of this room and go and look at some urban walks, and you can tell us a little bit about the, the, the urban walking movement and, and the neighbourhood charter. Would that be OK? Yeah, absolutely. Let's do it. Tompion, we've come outside now and we've crossed an incredibly busy road and we've come south of the river and we're in this little kind of oasis, aren't we really? A little urban oasis of just some possibly typical London streets, lots of Victorian houses, what looks like a school over there. But it, it's so far from the reality of, of central London that it's difficult to imagine. Yes, I, I, it's just this is Boddington Square and it's just a few residential streets, like you say, just off the main Vauxhall Road, which is incredibly busy. And I think it's just a really, really good example of small changes that can be made to make a place far more pleasant to be in, let alone walk and spend time. So here, one of the things that's a really strong feature is the, ma- the amount of green space. And that's not only the really important trees, which completely change the local microclimate and provide shade and, and all those things. But also, um, there's lots of planting in here that's been done by the local community, which, um, you know, so different plots of land which the community have taken over and, and plant and there's a great little community uh, garden here which is looked after completely by the community and has a swing and some play spaces so there's one of the things I love about this is the green space the other things is that they've just done a few small measures to make it feel like as a person walking you've got priority and actually as we're talking a lady in a pram is walking by and she's walking effectively in the middle of the road this is a road but just because these you know the changes they've made to the public realm to slow vehicles down uh, to encourage the cafe next door to put their seats outside it means if you're driving through this space you feel cautious and you drive a bit slower and you look around and if you're walking through this space you feel that you've got priority to cross the road you're not kind of stopping at every curb and you know worried about that happening so immediately it makes it feel about makes it feel like a place for people to walk and enjoy rather than a place for cars you know, you know, the cars are invited rather than the people, should I say? So I just. And think we were talking earlier a little bit about this issue of justice and access, and you're kind of the founding fathers of the Rambus Association, which were all about the mass transport and, and, and access. This is really an issue of, of of social justice in terms of our urban communities, isn't it? And and the focus actually on people rather than vehicles, and the focus on actually making these spaces healthy for people to live and work in and travel through but that must require quite significant policy and government change I mean is there an an agenda that we should be engaging with here around social justice and policy? You're absolutely right that it is a social justice issue when you look at something like air pollution it's the people that live in the more deprived areas that suffer the worst from air pollution even though they're not causing it it's because they live on the busy roads which people are commuting through to get to where they want to go um, and you look at something like road casualties as well, which is an issue that I'm incre- always incredibly shocked at how little attention it gets. Over four, between four and five hundred people are killed each year on our roads, thousands more seriously injured, and yet you very rarely hear about it. Occasionally now you hear about a cyclist being killed or, you know, um, you know obviously car crashes, you know, significant car crashes, but we almost accept that you know, people just die on our roads. And again, it's the people in the more deprived communities who live near the busier roads that are more susceptible and you know, have that greater risk around where they live. So it absolutely is a social justice issue. Um, 
one of the challenges with improving places for walking is that it's, it's so many things. So you have to invest in good public realm and small-scale things and safe crossings and some of the nice things we see right here. But you also have to do the bigger scale things on a, on, a, on, a, on a town or city scale. So you have to have really good public transport, for example, because if, people, if you want people to um, take slightly longer journeys, you want them to be able to walk to a local bus stop or train station and those kind of things. Because if you don't have those things, people are more reliant on cars, etc., etc. So you need to both plan your cities that, you know, that walk in a public transport at the centre of it, and then you need to get down to the detail. What that means is that you need both a top-down push from organisations like the Ramblers, and we're also part of something called the Walking and Cycling Alliance, which are a number of walking and cycling organisations pushing the government to do more, to introduce things like a, a national default 20-mile-an-hour speed limit, um, to give greater funding to uh, walking and cycling schemes rather than you know, the huge pot of money that's spent on road-building schemes. So you need that kind of national pressure. And we've made some progress on there, although you know, there's lots to be done. Uh, but then you also need the, the local grassroots work. And, and there's lots of really nice examples of where communities, just like this one, have taken it on themselves to improve the local streets and, and do those kind of things. And um, you know, it's something that Ramblers, like I said previously, has at its heart. It's really most of our work is done through volunteers and people on the ground. And it's the same with all these things. You need to kind of motivate people locally to make those small improvements that combined together will make all our towns and cities better places to walk. And Rory, in your instance, you've not probably got the issue of... of, of, of you obviously can't impose an infrastructure in, in, in another country, but I suppose you're just looking at already suitable places to walk to actually build on that kind of impetus that people have to, to get out into the countryside. Yes, we are. We've been trying our very best to to choose places as well where they're quite near amenities i think it's fair to say if you're walking a thousand kilometers you're probably going to have to sleep at least once (laughs) so the nearer we can get to to hotels say every 20 kilometers and natural rest spots the better really because that will just make more people willing to come over because then they can come over for two days or or they could come over for two weeks knowing that already there's been some thinking behind where they can lay their head in the evening and obviously access to, to public transport is quite important as well, isn't it? So being able to, so you don't necessarily have to take your car and then do your long-distance walk, you could get there by public transport? Exactly right. That, that might slightly undermine our, our green message. We've been very cautious to go near railheads. Uh, the rail system in France, I know there's been some strikes recently, but generally it's very, very good. And it has a, a, a B-line system, unlike just our A-line, it has a B-line system where you can get to much smaller places like Albert and the Somme which is a tiny little train station unchanged for about 100 years, but you can still get there. Okay. And I think I'm right in saying that you've both got campaigns that we just very briefly ought to touch on before, before we finish, and, and yours is about actually getting people out walking and a, a more general campaign to promote the launch of, of the Western Front Way, isn't it? It is. It's, our hashtag is why I walk, because for us, it doesn't really matter why you're walking. It's the fact that you're walking that's important. Yeah, it's a wonderful thing to do. Everybody involved with the charity thinks that. But most people walk at one stage during the day. I mean, when I was walking over you know, Vauxhall Bridge today, there were a lot of people walking. Why do they walk? It's just fascinating. Are they walking to get to work? Are they walking for themselves? Particularly if you start looking at walking holidays or weekends. There's a plethora of reasons why people walk, and we're just fascinated to know why you're doing it. And we're trying to provide a great long-distance walk where you can all come.
So people have to, um, obviously it's going to be, a, I guess, a social media campaign, it will. but it's about collecting stories about people who are they're walking and sharing their stories with other walkers. It is, it is. And uh, we're on Twitter and Instagram, and yeah, the hashtag is walk. Brilliant. Okay, thank you. Um, but yours is, Tom Pino, I think I'm right in saying that your walking um, campaign is a little bit more urban about the, the, the walking charter. Is that right? The urban conjunction? Yeah, that made uh, that right no, <laughs> absolutely right. So one of you know we obviously always got a couple of campaigns on the go but one of our key campaigns right now is called the walking neighborhoods uh, campaign so we've got two strands of that we've got the walking neighborhoods awards where we're trying to shine a light on good practice by local authorities developers communities and we had a nomination process which is now closed we had a panel come together yesterday of experts to choose the top 10 and we will be announcing those on the 28th of may for a public vote so watch this space on that. And then alongside of that, we've developed something called the Walking Neighbourhoods Charter, which is five things that local authorities really need to be doing to improve walking and improve access to green space close to where people live. So that charter is out in April, uh, and that's something that volunteers and campaigners can hopefully use to go to local authorities and call on those changes up until the local elections and beyond. Fantastic. So I guess your call to action is to get out there and walk and then, you know, for the Western Front way to share why you're walking, but, 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 but for the Ramblers really to get involved in some of those grassroots campaigns to make our towns, cities and countrysides free and able for everyone to walk in. Yes, absolutely. Join our campaigns, join our supporter list. If you're interested in becoming a member and you're interested in finding out routes nearby and going on walking groups and accessing all our individual walking routes that we have on our website too do look up our membership as well and we'll put all those details on the website thank you both very much thank you we'll just enjoy the birds i think thank you to my guests and thank you for listening we would love to hear from you about what you think about planet pod you can tweet at planet underscore pod or get in touch via the website theplanetpod.com where you can subscribe and download previous episodes If you've enjoyed today's show, please give us a five-star review. It helps us make better programmes. Be sustainable and stay green. Planet Pod is an Akil Sounds production hosted by me, Amanda Carpenter, edited and produced by Jim Haywood, with additional research by Beth Palmer.